uh, Joshua chapter 8, uh, making our way through this book and looking into what God has to say uh, to us here this morning. Uh, first things first, uh, we know that is a rule of life. Uh, do the first things, do the most important things first. And not only is this true in life, but this is certainly true in the spiritual realm as well. Last Sunday, being Easter Sunday, we heard from the Apostle Paul in his letter, his epistle to the Corinthians, where he reminded them of the priority of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we read these words. Now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. The gospel message of salvation is a message that we must hear, believe, and stand firm on. You say, what is to believe? What is the gospel that we're to believe? That what is this gospel that makes salvation effective? Verse 3, for I delivered to you of first importance. Did you notice that? I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so here we're reminded in the word of God that the gospel is the first of first things. It's the priority. But not only in the spiritual realm, we must fight daily to keep first things first. The tyranny of the urgent uh, works against us. Uh, the important things crowd out the urgent things and we sometimes we, we allow those urgent things to keep us from doing the most important things. I think of a brother in our church, a brother and a sister in our church, when they purchased their home before they moved a single piece of furniture into their new home. They called for the spiritual leaders of the church to come and to pray and to dedicate their home to the Lord. It was first things first. Well, when we come to Joshua chapter 8, we find Joshua has now been leading the nation of Israel, and he practices here in the verses that we're going to consider today, for keeping first things first. The nation, just kind of by way of quick review of where we've been in the book of, jo book of Joshua so we understand where we find ourselves here, is the nation of Israel, they have crossed the Jordan River at flood time. They crossed the Jordan on dry ground. It, when they crossed the Jordan, they renewed the covenant with God through the rite of circumcision. In obedience to the commander of the Lord's army, they marched around the city of Jericho five times. <laughs> just, <laughs> just checking it out, all right? They marched around the walls of Jericho, the city of Jericho, seven days on the seventh day, seven times, and the walls fell down. I'm a little bit concerned that you guys were pretty quiet on that. <clears throat> Achan, knowing that everything in the city of Jericho was to be devoted to the Lord and to destruction, saw the plunder and took some of it for himself. As a result of that, when the nation of Israel went up against the small city of Ai, 36 people lost their lives 
Joshua and the leaders despaired and say, Lord, why, why didn't you just let us stay on the other side of the Jordan? Why did you bring us here to make us pray to the nations around us? And the Lord reminded Joshua and said, the issue is not with me, it's with you. There, you have sin in the camp. And having addressed the issue of sin, they went forward and God gave to them the victory. And here we find ourselves on the heels of that victory. And what does Joshua do? He leads the nation in this matter of first things first. Joshua chapter 8 verses 30 to 35 is our text for today. The background of this text is really founded in the book, found in the book of Deuteronomy and then also in uh, Genesis. We're going to reference these verses. I wish we had time to read all of these verses. We, we don't have the time to read all these passages. But just so that you're aware of the background, I put that, that up there. You may want to uh, write those references down and look at them. And I'd encourage you to read them to understand the background to what we're going to be considering today. And here, the passage that we're going to read here in a moment, Joshua's going to do three things with the nation of Israel. And I want us to consider those three actions that he does, those three uh, practices, the three actives, uh, actions that he took there with the nation of Israel. And I want us to consider the significance not only for them then, but also for us today. And so let's read God's word. Let's read our text. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30 to 35. Remember, this is on the heels of defeating the city of Ai. And they're moving farther into the land that has been promised to God, promised by God uh, to Abraham some almost 600 years ago. Then Joshua, number one, built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Your Bible may have the word peace offerings there. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in, the, in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel, Afterward, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. And there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. And so this is the word of the Lord for today. Let's consider what it, the God was saying to them then, what God is saying to us today. You say, what were the first things that Joshua did? Well, there were three actions that he took. And the first action that he took is that the altar was built. The altar was built. And the significance of that altar, we're going to see here in a moment, is that the nation then, us today, we need to be reconciled to God. The significance of the altar is that we must be reconciled to God. Let's consider where we find ourselves in the story here in Joshua. Moving from Jericho to Ai, Joshua now moves not just the army, but he moves the entire nation from Gilgal to the heart of the promised land. 
And just as some might say that the center of Texas is Saginaw, some of us think that, right? So just as some might say the center of Texas might be Brownwood or whatever, and if you disagree with me, well, you can disagree, you'll be wrong. Uh, the heart of the promised land was between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. That was the center point of the promised land. And the reason for Joshua moving the nation of Israel there was it was in accordance with the directives that the Lord gave to Moses. We saw that several times in this passage that, that Joshua did according to all that Moses had instructed. But what is the significance about an altar being built on Mount Ebal? Well, I think the location is significant. The location helps us begin to understand the significance of this altar. Ebal uh, was the mountain on the north. Gerizim was the mountain to the south. And the, in the valley below, there was a city called Shechem. It was situated on the major highway that went the east-west highway. We might think of it this way. Shechem was like the DFW on the I-30. Does that help us understand it? Right kind of in the middle. We kind of think that Dallas, Fort Worth is the heart of the nation. Right on that thoroughfare. We got it, right? We understand it? Thank you, Chris. Chris got it. Hope the rest of you got it. And so Shechem was the home of the temple Baal Berith, the Lord of the Covenant. It was a temple to an idol god, a god of the Canaanites. And what would happen on this mountain was significant for the nation of Israel at that time. And we, 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 we ought, I don't want us to miss it, okay? It was this. The Lord God, Jehovah, was taking the nation of Israel right into the heart of the land, to the place where the people of the land said, this is the Lord of the covenant. And God was saying, I'm the only Lord of the covenant. And he was establishing a reference point, a marker for the nation of Israel. It was in this place that the Lord instructed his people to build an altar on Mount Ebal. The mountain on which the curses for violating the covenant of the law would be read. And it was here that on the altar of Mount Ebal that the, that, uh, the, the altar on Mount Ebal would remind the people of God for three things. One, it would remind them of their spiritual roots. Of their spiritual roots. Hold your place there in Joshua. Go back with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. I want to look at uh, two verses here to help us understand uh, what was happening. Why God was taking the people here to... Uh, uh, Mount Ebal here to build this altar. Verse 29, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Moses here is giving instructions to the nation of Israel. There, the nation of Israel is just on the other side of the Jordan River, right? Moses is still in charge. He is yet to be taken up on the mountain to be buried by the Lord. Uh, and so he's giving these instructions, these directives to this nation that's going to go into the land that's been promised by God. Verse 29, when the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess... You are to proclaim where? On Mount Gerizim, the blessings. On Mount Ebal, the curses. Now look at verse 30. Verse 30, God gives to the nation of Israel the coordinates. This is where you're going to find the mountains. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan. So you've got to cross the Jordan. Go west toward the setting sun near the great trees of Moray 
in the territory of the land of those Canaanites living in the Arabah in the vicinity of Gilgal. They say, what is that? What are the, these oaks of Moray? What, why would God put that as a coordinate for the people of Israel to, to go there to Mount Ebal to the oaks of Moray to build an altar to the Lord? Why, why would God do that? You guys intrigued? <laughs> there you go. I don't know who said that, but yeah, you know it. You know the scripture. So hold, hold your place here in Deuteronomy and go back with me all the way to the book of Genesis. Right? You guys good? What did you guys think? We weren't going to come to church to study the Bible? So let's, let's go back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Here we go. Genesis chapter 12. I want you to see this. You remember Genesis chapter 12? God called Abraham in, in the land of Ur. And he told him to go to the land that he was going to show him. And so Abraham goes home and he says, Sarah, pack up. We're moving. Where are we going? I don't know. God's going to show us. Okay, let's go. And look what it says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. And Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of what? Moray. At Shechem, at that time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. And notice what Abraham did. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Now I want us to think about what God was teaching the nation of Israel then and what he's reminding us here today. God is saying, when you get to the land that promised, when you get to Shechem, when you get to the DFW on I-30 of the ancient world, that's the land. Abraham, that's the land that I'm going to give to you. Don't miss it. God was leading his people to the place where they began. Now, I think there's something significant for us here today. If we're going to live in this world as the Israelites were going to live in this land, of the Canaanites, this promised land, they needed to, we need to, return to our spiritual root. That is, we need to stay vitally connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to think about what the New Testament teaches us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how have you received Christ Jesus? By working really hard, by being really religious, going to church a lot, right? Amen? We receive Christ by faith. As you have received Christ, so now walk in Him. How? Walk by faith in Christ. Live moment by moment, day by day, in, by faith in Christ. How? Rooted and built up in Him. Established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The scripture is replete. Abraham, follow me. Go to the place that I'm showing you. Joshua, take the people back to the place where it all began. You who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, walk in him. How? Being rooted, established in the faith. Uh, <clears throat> being rooted and grounded in him. Being established in the faith. Abounding in thanksgiving. Not only did the altar at Mount Ebal uh, remind them of their spiritual roots, but there at Mount Ebal, the nation of Israel were being taught that they needed to be wholly dedicated to and follow and to walk with the Lord. They needed to be wholly dedicated to the Lord and walk with Him. This is seen in the two offerings that are to be offered there on the mountain. 
the burnt offering and the fellowship or the peace offering that is to be offered there on the mountain. And so I want us to consider these two offerings because I think they help us understand what was taking place there. The burnt offering is the offering that was made by the people of God for sin, for the atonement of sin. The book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 1, verse 4, Moses writes there and he says, when the offerer brings an offering for a burnt offering, he is to lay his head on uh, on the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Do you hear what it's saying? He's saying that the offerer, when they bring a burnt offering, put his head on that animal. That animal then takes the, bears the, the responsibility for the sin. And then that, that animal, his life is taken. And that animal is then sacrificed on the altar. And all of it is to be burned before the Lord. All of it is to be dedicated to the Lord. None of it is to be enjoyed by the people. Why? Because the animal is making atonement for sin. The unblemished Blameless animal would be dedicated entirely to the Lord. Israel was being reminded as they they walked into this land that in order to walk with God, sin must first be addressed. It's through the atoning sacrifice that our guilt is removed and our relationship with God is reestablished. The burnt offering was offered first. It was on evil that sin would be atoned for. The curse of sin would be removed. But there was also that second offering, the peace offering, the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering was an, a, a voluntary offering that was brought by the worshiper in response to the overwhelming goodness of God. Sometimes that offering would be an offering brought in thanksgiving for an answer to prayer, to the help that God had given. Other times that offering would be made in anticipation of what God would do. It was a communal offering, which the animal that was sacrificed and offered would then be enjoyed by the people and shared with others. That fellowship offering would be much like the equivalent of the Lord's table or the Lord's supper where we partake of the bread and the juice together, acknowledging the goodness, the overwhelming grace of God in the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what we find here in Joshua chapter 8 is a biblical pattern. Once we have been made right with God uh, through the sacrificial lamb, that is, through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on Good Friday, was raised on Easter Sunday morning, we then enjoy peace with God. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified, that is, since we have been made right with God, how? By faith. We now have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the message of this altar on Mount Ebal. It was be reconciled with God. As you walk into this land, as you begin to take the land that I'm giving to you, make sure that you are reconciled with me. That was the reminder then. It's the message for us today. But there was a third lesson that was signified by this altar that was being constructed on this mountain. Not only were they reminded and taken back to their spiritual root, not only were they being taught that they must be wholly dedicated, the burnt offering, and they must walk with God, 
the fellowship offering, but there's a third insight that we learn from this altar, and that is that God is utterly dependable and always faithful to fulfill his promises. God is utterly dependable, always faithful to fulfill his promises. I want you to remember the time frame. Joshua on this mountain, 600 years after Abraham. For us to kind of put it into our time frame, it's been 505 years since Martin Luther named his, nailed his 95 theses on the church door and the Protestant Reformation began. It was that time, that length of time. And here, this generation now, for generations had been holding on to God has promised this land to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now this generation, they were standing in the land that God had promised them. What well, Can you imagine what that must have been like for them? Standing there, this is the realization of all that we have hoped for, all that we have longed for, all that we have looked for. This is all that we have believed in. God has promised, God is faithful. He is utterly dependable. Now, how, how we need to remember this when life becomes bitter and difficult. When we find ourselves worn out and weary, when we find ourselves failing and feeling like we're not making a difference with anything, when our prayers go unanswered, when problems abound, we need to go back to the scriptural record of what happened in Joshua chapter 8, verses that we probably skip over and remember that at Mount Ebal, God was doing what? God was being faithful to fulfill some of his promises, right? <laughs> all of his promises. God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. <clears throat> Listen to Paul and the message that he wrote to the Corinthians. This was the Paul who wrote in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, verse 9 and 10. He said, all of the troubles that we've experienced in Asia have happened to teach us not to depend on ourselves, but on him who raises the dead. Three chapters later, writing about the difficulty of serving the Lord, Paul writes in chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure. What is the treasure of the gospel? We have the treasure of the gospel in jars of clay. He's talking about his human body, jars of clay. To show what? To show the surpassing power, show, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Paul continues, so because of this, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are, do you see that word? They're transient. They're passing. They're disappearing. 
that which we can see in front of us. This morning in the Adult Bible for Life class, uh, Kevin was talking about how science always tries to drive a wedge between faith and science, and science is the authority. And we're reminded that what science can test, that which is seen, is temporary. But that which is unseen, that which is by faith, is eternal. It's permanent. That's what we're banking our lives on. This is what the nation of Israel needed then. That is what we, the people of God, need today. When life becomes overwhelming, our hope is not that science has a way out. We're grateful for science. But our hope is in the everlasting promises of God and the promises that he is faithful to fulfill and he's utterly dependable always. That's why this altar, going back to this mountain, was so important for the nation of Israel, right? First thing Joshua did is he led the nation to Mount Ebal and they built an altar. But there was a second thing that he did there, and that is on this altar, the law was copied. The law was copied, and the message of that law that was copied on these stones there was be holy, be holy. Look again at verse 32 of uh, Joshua chapter 8. And there in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. Now again, remember those background verses that I gave to you? Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses had given specific instructions of what they were to do when they get to the mountain. The nation was to take uncut stones. Stones that had not been improved upon by human hand. These uncut stones, they were to take and they were to cover them in plaster. And Joshua was to write on them the law of God. Here, the permanence of the law written in written form became an important marker for the nation of Israel. Up until that time, the law of God had been in the possession of Moses and then passed on to Joshua. But now, it had become written down and it was the property of the people. You say, what was written down? It says the law. Was all of the book of Deuteronomy written down? I, it seems unlikely that the entire book of the Deuteronomy, some commentators think that it was the Ten Commandments. That seems most logical to me, that the Ten Commandments were written in this plaster covering these uncut stones. Other commentaries, they make a case that an argument that the blessings and the cursings listed out in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 were the, what was written on these stones. What we do know is that some form of the law was written, copied, on, these, on the plaster that had covered these stones. And you say, what was the purpose of this? Remember what the purpose of the law was. The law outlined for the people of God how they were to live before and in relationship with the Holy God. The law spelled out what God expected of his people. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Do I have that verse on there, uh, Benjamin? I don't think I do. Let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy. You guys good? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's take a look at what uh, verses 12 and 13. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Um, 
Listen to what the Lord is saying to the nation of Israel, and he's reminding them, this is when you get into this land, this is who you, need, this is who you are, this is how you need to live, this is who you are, this is how you need to live. And now Israel, verse 12, Deuteronomy chapter 10. What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your what? For your own good. Now think about that. The message of the world is this. Man, if you follow God, Man, you're going, to be, you're going to get the short end of the stick. Man, if you believe the Bible, you're going to be foolish. If you obey God, you're going to miss out on good times. And that's the message. That's the, that's the pressure that we, that we find ourselves fighting against, going against as, as the people of God. And God says, I'm giving this to you. For what? For your good. Be holy. Walk with me. This land that you're going into is going to be filled with godless, unbelieving pagans. Be holy. Walk with me. Be holy. It's the same message that the Lord has given to the New Testament church. To the church that was scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor, living under the heavy hand of Roman persecution, the Apostle Peter exhorted them. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 16. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As obedient children, do not live according to the lusts that characterized your life before you believed on Jesus Christ. But as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Having been made right with God at the altar, the copied law became a testimony of how they were to live. They were to live as the holy people of God among the unholy nations of the world. And that is the call upon the church today. That you and I who have been made right with God through Jesus Christ are to live holy lives among the unholy people of this world. There was a third thing that Joshua did on the mountain that day. First he built an altar and that altar reminded the people that they needed to be reconciled with God he copied the law of God on the plaster that covered the stones, reminding the people that needed to be holy before God. And the third thing that Joshua did that day is the law was read. And the lesson then, the lesson for today, is that we must be people who hear and heed the word of God. You and I must hear, heed, obey, do the word of God. Now you can imagine the scene that day. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Moses spelled out the instructions for the nation that day. Six of the tribes were to be on Mount Gerizim. The other six tribes were to be on Mount Ebal. And then as the law 
was being read, the blessings and the curses. Deuteronomy chapter 27 outlines the curses. Deuteronomy chapter 28 outlines the blessings. That the respective mountains would cry out in antiphonal, Amen. And so the blessing would be read, and the, those that were in Mount Gerizim, Amen. And then the curse for disobeying the covenant law, those on Mount Ebal, they would shout out, Amen. They were being reminded that they were coming under the authority of God. You can imagine the scene. Uh, let's, well, let's just read the scriptures. Verse 33. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the ark of the covenant of the Lord facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both foreigners living among them and the native born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal as Mo Moses the servant of the Lord had formally commanded when he gave the instructions to bless the land of Israel. And afterward, after the people had gathered there on the two mountains, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curses, just as written in the book of the law. There is not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel including the women and the children and the foreigners who lived among them. The Ark of the Covenant was there in the valley floor. The, Levit the Levitical priests, they surrounded the Ark. It was as if the visible presence of God was right there in that place. The nation, two sides of the mountain, this natural amphitheater, Shouting amen as the law is being read. And Deuteronomy chapter 11 summarizes the blessings, of curse, uh, blessings and curses. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28 spell them out in detail. Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 26 to 28. The Lord speaking through Moses says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing... If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. <sighs> Amidst God's unconditional promises, the promises that God gave to Abraham and back in Genesis chapter 12, that I will be your God, you'll be my people. I will give to you descendants far no more that would number greater than the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. I will give you a land. Those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I'll curse. The unconditional promises of God. God set within those unconditional promises the conditional stipulations. The kind of blessing that you enjoy in the land that I'm giving to you depends upon your commitment to live in obedience to my commands. It is here that we, we have the problems with it. it this is where we find our problem, the, the problem with this. We live in a time, well, I don't know if it's a time, maybe it's a, certainly in this age, but it's probably more characteristic of the human heart where we want to be self-sufficient. Our mantra, 
I did it my way. There's something inside of us that pushes up against the most basic Christian creed of the church, and that is Jesus is Lord. And even in the church today, we downplay the significance of this central reality that Jesus Christ is and must be Lord. And what happens when we push back against this? We have many within the church who claim Jesus as Savior and expect to enjoy all the blessings of forgiveness and peace, but who are clearly living their lives as though Jesus Christ is not their Lord. One commentator said it this way, biblically this is not just inconsistent but ultimately impossible since there cannot be a rescue without coming under the rescuer's rule. That's what God was doing here at this mountain. When the people were shouting amen, they weren't just like, yeah, preach it, Joshua. They were coming under the authority and the rule of God in their lives. Let's bring this to an end. Whether it was the nation of Israel starting their new life in the promised land or you and I seeking to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in the world today, we must keep first things first. And what are those things that we need to keep first? Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Be made right with God through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. It is only through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross on Good Friday and through his resurrection on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, that anyone can be made right with God. It, that, that's it. It's, there, there is no other way. There is no other name. There, it, it doesn't matter how good you try to be, how many promises you make. It is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Be reconciled to God. Come to the altar, not the altar of Ebal on Mount Ebal, not the altar in front of the church, the altar of the empty cross and the empty tomb. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, be reconciled to God. Be holy. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with the Lord your God. This is how we're to live in the world today. First be reconciled, then be holy. Hear and heed the word of God. James says, do not, be do, not, do not only be hearers of the word of God, but be doers. And obedience to God is a moment by moment, day by day decision where we submit all of our lives under the will and the rule of the Lord to him. We, we bring ourselves under his authority. Some here today,
Some here today, like Achan, you're trying to conceal and hide areas of disobedience. Come to the altar. Be holy. Heed and hear the word of God. Some here today, life has become hard. You are carrying great burdens. Your faith is weary. You're discouraged and disheartened. This mountain, God is utterly faithful, always uh, utterly dependent, always faithful to fulfill all of his promises. Come to him today.